that's a growler. Welcome to another episode of Popcorn and Pickles, the podcast where we discuss movies, old and new, and also anything else we want to talk about. <laughs> and today is going to be one of those episodes where we discuss whatever we would like to talk about, which is going to be part two of our Disney adventure that we recently went on. And this podcast specifically will be focusing on the rides and the rides that we went on and what we thought about those. So let's just dive right into it. We're going to start with the Magic Kingdom, and I'm just going to start with the different lands. Magic Kingdom is divided into different lands. So as you walk into the park, if you uh, go to the right, you're looking at Tomorrowland. And the first ride you're going to come to is actually the Monsters, Inc. Laugh Floor, which is actually is not a ride. It's more of a audience participation type of show. John did not go on this ride. I was only on it with Anna. I keep saying ride. I apologize. It's more of an attraction. I thought it was going to be ride, but you end up waiting in line and you can participate by texting in different jokes or something like that, but it's more of a show. And what they do is as they're talking part of the show, they flip the camera on some of the audience members. And so they incorporate the jokes that you text in, but they audio, they also keep focusing on some of the audience members throughout the show. So it was funny and it was cute. Anna, being a two-year-old, really, really loved it. I don't know if teenagers would think it was as funny. As an adult, I appreciated it. And I also appreciated just being able to sit down for a few minutes and um, and kind of watch that. So it wasn't really a ride. You just kind of sat and did a show. But you get a lot of Mike Wazowski and some of the other characters talking to you. and. And so that was really cute. Stitch's Great Escape is also right across the alley from this ride. However, that ride was closed, so we did not ride it. The other big ride in this area is Buzz Lightyear's Space Ranger Spin. I believe that's the one where we are members of the Space Ranger Star Command, and we sit in these cars, carts, I'm not really sure, buggies, things pull us along and we have little shooters and these shooters are somewhat like little laser cannons or guns and you are shooting i believe an infrared beam trying to hit targets randomly or as perfectly as you can and it does give you a score though i'm not really sure that the score really really matters or not only does it matter, but I, I, I don't know that the score really is even accurate. I, I really don't have a clue because I saw some people get way more than me. And I thought, oh, OK, well, maybe I just stink. So this is a ride that's fairly interactive. You're shooting at things as they're popping up on different screens. It is fun because you're moving through different areas and different screens come up. But you're kind of in a cart that are you able to rotate your seat as well and you can choose what you're looking at as you're going around i thought that was the funnest part i think that is true however the 
two times that I wrote it, I had an infant, well, a one-year-old, and I think a two-year-old. And so um, I never really did much spinning of, of the actual car itself. But I believe that you're, you're right. You can't do that. I would say this ride is good for pretty much all the kids. The older boys liked it and the little ones liked it as well. And you are allowed to take infants on this ride as well. So that was not an issue. Also, this is a ride that tends to have a traditionally very long line. So if you're able to get a fast pass for this ride, it's definitely worth it. I actually think that's kind of funny because I, I really don't think that this ride lives up to the hype. That's just me. That's me. But really, I, I on a scale of zero to 10, I'm going to give it a, an entertainment back for about a four and a half. Um, if we move on around the perimeter of Tomorrowland, you, the next ride you come upon is Walt Disney's Carousel of Progress. I remember this ride from a long time ago, but I did not ride it most recently. The Carousel of Progress is, in fact, a show and a ride. Because what it actually does is it takes an audience, and I believe it, it can have up to five or six groups of audiences. And as it takes them and seats them, it then moves them around a stage. And so the audience is actually moving around the stage as we are being entertained through the ages by a family that is um, explaining the most current technology of the time. And let me tell you why I love this. When I went on this, I'm going to say it was back in the summer of 1990. I remember going and watching this and, and thinking, oh, what a great song. While it's somewhat cheesy. I vaguely remember them telling me, uh, or telling all of us, that the Carousel of Progress was a ride-slash-show-slash-attraction of the 1964 World's Fair, and that Walt Disney himself was in charge of its development. And so it was neat watching this as a kid and then seeing the very last portion of the show and spoiler alert it shows them in the future and they're talking about things like uh, voice enabled and voice controlled commands around the home virtual reality and things like that so it was fascinating for me to go and see this as as an eighth grader and now to come back and see it because what was then the future is now the present and to me, it was absolutely mind-blowing for me to go into this attraction that seems almost as if it's hidden in the park. And to hear what Walt Disney did for this, how he did it, how it came to be, and how, in many ways, this is the spirit of Walt in the Magic Kingdom. And so for me, it's, it, it's, it's a very special attraction, and one that's, that's very near and dear to my heart. And so when I went through it again, this time with, with my kids and marveling over the fact that back when I was a kid, I was watching a section about the future and now the future was really the present. It was really mind blowing. And I tried to explain it to everyone, but I don't know that it was as cool to them as it was to me. If you've ever seen that, that gif, that's gone around the internet of the mind blown where it shows the geek and his, he's showing his head going. That, that's kind of what was happening. To me. Was it good for little kids? I think the little kids would be entertained by the animatronics and the music. Let's move on to the next ride. 
Space Mountain. That's one of the huge attractions of the park. It's a one of the high-speed roller coasters, so it's only really for older kids and adults. As far as roller coasters go, I did not love it. It would definitely would not be in my top 10 of roller coasters. I mean, it is roller coaster, so it's fun in, in that aspect, but I thought it was a little bit jerky for me. Um, so it wasn't amazing, but still worth riding. I think what makes it unique is it is that it's a roller coaster in the dark. But one of the things that I don't like about being on a roller coaster in the dark is not knowing what is above my head. And so because I'm a thrill ride lover and a thrill seeker, I'm often throwing my upper body up into the air so that I will feel a whiplash as we go down hills and go upside down and such. With this one, I'm just always so scared about hitting my hands and losing my hands. And so it was so funny that just prior to launch, I looked over and I said to one of the Disney cast members who was there working, I'm not going to lose my hands am I, if I throw them up. And he said, yes, you will. You'll absolutely lose your hands. And he said it with such seriousness and, and this deadpan approach that I just busted out laughing and then we shot off. So I did put my, my hands up, but there were a couple of times where as the strobe lights are flashing, you can see you know, some structure or some kind of framing above you and you start really worrying that you're going to hit your hand. Right in the center of Tomorrowland, there are two rides. The first is the Tomorrowland Transit People Mover. While it may look like it's really dull because you're just kind of moving along the cart, you can see it as you're in Tomorrowland because the track runs above you as you go everywhere. I thoroughly enjoyed this ride. It was probably one of my favorite rides of the whole park simply because, number one, the line moved fairly quickly even though there was a lot of people there that day. Number two, the four-year-old Oscar thought it was a roller coaster and he had his arms in the air because it looked like a roller coaster and then you just go much slower. And it's not just a people mover. I would also say it's a good ride for people watching because you're just sitting there watching everybody else below you. This ride takes you through all the other rides that are in Tomorrowland. So you get a small glimpse of all of them. So even for smaller children that can't ride Space Mountain, you can still go in Space Mountain on the People Mover. And it was so relaxing and it was nice just to sit and be in the shade and kind of see everything. I felt like I could ride that all day, just sit there and go around and around. So I really enjoyed that ride, um, as did the little ones who were with me and having a baby with me at the time, it was perfect to sit there with the baby and just chill for a few minutes. The other ride that's right in the middle is the Astro Orbiter. And you can see it from far off. It looks like little spaceships going around in a circle. And it kind of looked really boring. And I almost didn't do it because the line was actually pretty long. Um, it's more for small to medium kids. I did have the baby with me and I think it was perfectly fine for him as well. It doesn't move a ton, but because of where it's built very high up and then you get lifted up a little bit higher, even though you're just going, it's one of these, you go round and round and you can move it up and down. You actually felt like you were going super high. And I was pretty surprised at the angle that you reached as well as you were at the top height, you know, being drawn into the middle because you're circling round and round. So it was surprisingly fun. I really enjoyed that one. What I would like to say about that ride is the last time that I was on it, 
would have been back in 2010. And the park was, was pretty sparse at the time because it was early in September and we were there for Mickey's not-so-scary Halloween party. And so when I went on this ride, if you can imagine, I was wearing slacks with a dress shirt, a Gryffindor tie, and a Gryffindor robe. And so everything that I was wearing was high-quality, screen-accurate stuff. So it was warm, but the fabric did not make it easy to maneuver in this little spaceship. And so I actually got stuck for a while because I was trying to get out of it. And I kept slipping and sliding because of the costume that I was wearing on the metal. And so uh, they had to hold the ride for a bit before it took me a little bit to finally kind of get my bearings and get out of the ride. It's definitely not a comfortable ride, for sure, because, you know, you're sitting in basically a little rocket ship that's kind of just like a fancy boat. So imagine like when you're getting in a rowboat and you're really low, it's awkward getting in. And if you're a very big person, you're probably not going to fit very well on this ride either. And that's one of the rides uh, at Disney World that is very much like a carnival ride. And so uh, even even though they have carnival rides there, and, and I, I even remember there's a section of, I think, Animal Kingdom that we'll talk about later, but uh, that that's all like a huge carnival. But yeah, that, that ride is, I, I don't remember enjoying it very much at all. Like I said, I enjoyed it, but it's not, it's not one of the more comfortable rides. Really quickly, um, before we move on from Tomorrowland, something that I want to throw out there in hopes that everyone will actually hear this, but check out the movie Tomorrowland. It was uh, put out by Disney, directed by Brad Bird. But what is so neat about this movie is that movie really helps you see and understand Walt Disney's vision for not only Tomorrowland, but also for Epcot Center, um, but not Epcot Center, but rather Epcot, which stands for Experimental Prototype City of Tomorrow. And so if you go to Tomorrowland, I think it's great, and there are fun rides and everything else like that. But if you watch this movie and then go to Tomorrowland or then go to Epcot, you'll see things so, so, so differently. So anyway, Tomorrowland, in the vision of Walt Disney, it was supposed to be a city. And at, in the city, uh, the greatest technology, the greatest inventors all came together to provide their discoveries to the human race. So anyway, we won't get too far into that, but research it if you're interested. Tomorrowland, experimental prototype city of tomorrow. Um, so the very last ride as you're leaving Tomorrowland to go to the next land is the Tomorrowland Speedway, which is just the cars that go into track. I hate that thing. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just got to say, they call it, I think it's called a Grand Prix. I don't think those things top out at more than maybe three to four miles per hour. And it, they just, they reek of gasoline and smell like lawnmowers. I think they're probably using lawnmower engines in those cars. But I mean, that place should be shut down because its carbon footprint has got to be at least, I don't know, probably 50 times the size of the park itself because it is bad. Well, needless to say, the older kids didn't care too much for it, but Oscar really loved it. So good for really little kids, medium to large kids, probably 
would not enjoy it as much. They might be a little bit bored, but if there's no line, I would say ride it. I think our oldest, Joseph, who's 15, I think he got, I don't think he got thrown off the ride. I think he got a warning. I don't know what he did, but I'm pretty sure we have someone in our family that got a warning on that one. Right as you leave Tomorrowland, if you continue heading in a counterclockwise direction, you're going to run into the Mad Tea Party. I don't even know if I need to talk about this because everyone knows what it is. Saucers when you go in a circle. I oh 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 you mean those vomit inducing spin machines? Hated it. <laughs> well, in all fairness, John did not ride it this time. I rode it with Anna, the two year old, and she loved it. However, we were not spinning our teacup. It was just gradually spinning on its own. If you don't do anything, it will just slowly spin. If you choose to, you can go in a crazy spin. But she really liked just going in the slow spin, so that was fun for her. The last time I rode that. Again, this this would have been at Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party in 2010. I spun that thing like there was no tomorrow. And I did it because I told my boys there were three of us on the ride, or four of us on the ride, three boys, Joseph, David, and Emery. And I said, guys, I'm going to spin this thing. Is it going to be the first time and the last time I'm ever on this ride? And we spun it, and I got so, so sick. So as you leave the Mad Tea Party, you're walking now into Frontierland. If you go to the right, you're going to first hit Dumbo the Flying Elephant. Now, what I did not realize about this ride, because the line was so long initially, was that there's actually like a kid waiting area for this ride. Underneath the big top, which I guess is where the line takes you, I didn't realize this till much later, and so the section was closed. But there's a play area for kids, and I believe that as an, a parent, you kind of like check in your kid and get a wait time for the ride. And then when it's your turn to go and ride the actual Dumbo ride, you can go and grab your kids. And so you're not standing waiting in line. So for medium to little kids, they really love this ride, even if there's a line because you get to go play in the play area. So don't get a fast pass for this ride and go ahead and wait in the line. I didn't realize it. So I missed out because it was already closed that section and we just walked right onto the ride. Now, I understand that this ride is is very iconic, that it's been around since Walt himself and, and, and that he was involved in the development of the ride. But I just got to tell you, it is not one that I enjoy. I'm not a big fan of just going round in circles and then going up and down. It's It's just not really fun and entertaining for me. I do it for the kids, but I am truly, truly suffering inside. I mean, it's a wonder that, that there's anything left of me after one of these Dumbo rides or Aladdin's magic carpets, because I mean, as far as the boredom level, I mean, it, 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 it those rides suck the life out of me because I think they're a waste of time and I find them incredibly boring. However, if you have little kids and they can't ride other things, then this is a great ride for them. But again, it is around and round, up and down with elephants. But this is also an opportunity where what they don't know won't hurt them. So if they don't know about the Disney ride, you might, you might be able to get away with it. Right next door to Dumbo is the Barnstormer. I have a really hard time saying that. It is the only roller coaster-ish type ride that very little kids can ride. So my two-year-old was able to ride it. And for a little kid roller coaster ride, it was fun. It's not more than that. It's 
not going to be high thrills or anything, but for two and three-year-olds that really enjoyed it, medium-sized kids would probably like it as well. We did not ride the railroad, although I wanted to. I just didn't feel like waiting in line for that. Um, in this middle section, right across from the Barnstormer, is a splash pad. So if you're there and it's really hot and you feel like getting wet, there is a splash pad there. Um, some people had bathing suits and other people were just getting wet in their clothes. They didn't really care. There's also Pete's Silly Side Show, which has character meet and greets. So you go in, in a big top there, and there's different characters that you can meet if you want to wait in line for those. It's kind of an organized waiting in line section, but in the shade. Is that where you met Donald dressed up as the Schwami? Yes, they're all dressed up in the funny clothes. So we did, there's two different lines, and the line we waited in was for Donald and Goofy. Donald was wearing some type of headdress with a jewel in the middle, and I think he was carrying a crystal ball. There's also a large souvenir shop right next door to that, which has some fun, like kind of fair type food if you're looking for that. There's there's some of that in there. That's all in this little circusy area over in Frontierland. As you leave that area, the next attraction you're going to come to is Ariel's Grotto, which is where you just go and meet Ariel. I did not do it because the line was really long, but that's where she lives. So if you want to meet her, then and that would be where you would find her. And right next door to that is, of course, the actual Little Mermaid ride um, under the sea journey of the Little Mermaid. I love that thing. And if I remember, I believe that was the first ride that I wrote on this trip. And here I have a, a long history with the Little Mermaid. And so to be on this ride with my daughter for the very first time, watching the entire story played out in front of me with these amazing statues slash animatronics was so magical for me. Hearing the music just made me fall in love with that that movie all over again. And that, I think, was what I was really impressed with the most with the ride was that we did go through the whole movie, like the highlights of it, the best songs, and it was just so fun and it was so neat the way they even presented it because you're sitting in a seashell and when you go into the water, it actually like lowers you and you go backwards and there's like bubbles sounds and you feel like you're really going into the water. And I think the temperature may have changed as well. You kind of have that little, you know, cool feeling all of a sudden. And so it was just really, really fun. This ride is great for everyone in the family. I mean, you can be holding a baby on your lap and every single person that I was with on this ride because I went on it a few different times. Absolutely love this ride. I definitely could have ridden the ride several more times. I think I only rode it once this time. As you continue around the bend, there's a couple more shops. Uh, there's the Be Our Guest Restaurant, which is a pretty big restaurant for a character um, meet and greets. But I believe you probably want to make a reservation if you decide to do that. One attraction that we really enjoyed that I really wasn't even aware was an attraction beforehand was Enchanted Tales with Belle. As you pass her castle, you're going to see this little cottage, and that's actually where Belle kind of lives. If you want to meet Belle, this is where you have to go. And so it's actually a show. You become part of the show. So a cast member meets you initially. They kind of tell you Belle's story. And then at some point, they assign parts to all of the kind of medium-sized kids, kids that can follow directions and anyone who wants to participate can be part of the show and then they take you into a separate room and then that's when Belle comes out and you actually play out a shortened version of 
Beauty and the Beast and Belle plays herself and everybody else plays other characters. And they involved some of the adults and it was just really fun. I really enjoyed that one. Now, this was the first show attraction that I, I uh, endeavored on. And so for me, it was really funny because as we started and as we were encountering the first couple of cast members, I'm going to be honest, the one girl who I think was going around and selecting volunteers for the show, she, she just kind of looked like she was calling it in. Yeah, she was kind of crabby. Yeah, she she just did not seem to be having much fun. And I thought, you know, okay, let's not let this ruin the experience. Just because she's having a bad day doesn't mean I have to have one. But as we got further and further into the show, into the point that we met Belle, I just kind of kept sinking further and further into despair because these these cast members just didn't be, look like they were very excited to be there. But when Belle came in, oh my gosh, everything changed. The girl that was playing Belle was probably just a college intern, but daggone, she was so perfect. She was so perfect as Belle. And I am extremely judgmental when it comes to assessing one's uh, suitability for Belle. And uh, I I thought she was just awesome. The other really neat thing about that is when the show's kind of over, Belle actually will take the time to meet all of the children there and you get to go and have a picture with her. So as we said, it's kind of an attraction slash meet and greet. You kind of get both rolled into one. So definitely worth the wait if you if you want to meet Belle. It was a lot of fun. And I know our daughter, Annalisa, really enjoyed it. And for me, it was kind of funny because I was holding Anna as we were going to meet Belle. And she she called her Princess Anna, which I thought was funny because that's my nickname for her. And she said, Princess Anna, oh, you're here with your royal escort. And I thought, yep, yep, that pretty much sums up my life. And so uh, that was a lot of fun. But we have this picture where it's the, the three of us, Belle, Anna, and me. And it just is funny because here you have Belle in this incredibly elegant gown. And, you know, I'm just standing there in a... LA Clippers jersey. <laughs> so I feel a little underdressed. That's a problem a lot of the Disney princesses have. I look really, and, and I feel like, hey, you know, I'm wearing a basketball jersey. I mean, these things aren't cheap. Before you leave Frontierland, as you come around the corner, the last couple rides are first, I'll talk about Winnie the Pooh. Now, if you want to meet Pooh and Tigger, they're also adjacent to this. So right next door and the kind of tucked away is where you're going to find. Winnie the Pooh and Tigger if you would like to do a meet and greet for them. Although I will say because they're outside, they have to take a lot of breaks. And so it will be pretty common as you're waiting in line for them to say, well, so sorry, they have to take a 10 minute break and they'll be back. So just kind of expect that because they're not inside and they're in these really big costumes. If it's hot, they're not going to be able to stand out there for very long before they they get a break. Um, But that's where you can go to meet them. And uh, next door, as I said, is the actual Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh. The cool thing about this ride, which is also the annoying thing about this ride, is the line. Waiting to get onto the ride because there's a lot of little stations for, I would say, mid to small children to play and do things such as drums and kind of turn these things that also coincidentally make a lot of racket. So I would say these are all racket making things, which when you're carrying a one year old, 
who is very sensitive to noise, was not happy about. So the line was not amazing for babies. The ride itself was very enjoyable, a lot like the aerial ride where you're sitting in some kind of, what were we sitting in? I don't even know. Sitting in something, going around. But it was fun because you did go through the whole story of Winnie the Pooh. And it was just a very gentle ride that was lots of fun. Once you get past the annoying noises in the line, there is like these screens that has honey and you can touch it and it makes these cool designs and, and the kids liked touching that. So, so that portion was fun. So the ride itself was great. But as far as the, the baby, he was not in love with that line with other kids being really super annoying. I really enjoyed this ride. This was one of the, the rides that allowed me to take my disability scooter into the line. And so it was so nice not having to park my scooter and have to walk and to put pressure on my feet. So that was one of the reasons I liked the ride. Another reason I liked the ride is because I've, I've always had kind of a, an affinity for the 100 Acre Wood. Um, when I was in college, I remember we did a production of Winnie the Pooh, and I was extraordinarily disappointed because I was not cast. But I was told by the director that had there been Tigger in this early edition of what we were doing, that I may have gotten it anyway. So it was disappointing. But I like Winnie the Pooh. It was fun. I enjoyed seeing the illustrations come to life because that's what they have in there. I mean, you don't have like little statues or or animatronics. I mean, you're really looking at the storybook and its illustrations come to life. So that was a lot of fun. It was really nice and cool. Yes. And so, you, you know, when you're, when you're battling a July heat in, uh, in April, uh, that, that can be really nice. John kind of touched on this, but along with Ariel's ride, this was a story ride. And with both of these rides and also additional rides, which we'll talk about in a minute, I was so impressed with the length of the ride. You think, oh, I waited in line. You kind of expect a ride to be a few minutes, but these rides are actually several minutes. Your wait in line is worth the wait because the length of these rides is actually pretty decent. Right across the alley from Winnie the Pooh is another one of the really huge draws of this park, which is the Seven Dwarves Mine Train. Now, I will say, if you can get a fast pass for this ride, you definitely want to get it because the line will be extremely long. And I believe it's long most of the time. And for good reason, because this ride is so much fun. Now, the little ones can't ride this, but your, you know, mid to obviously larger children can. Our four-year-old was tall enough to ride this ride, and he got to ride it a lot because it was the biggest roller coaster that he was able to ride, and he absolutely loved, loved, loved it. There's a little video that they take of you as you're riding the ride. So in addition to pictures, you have little video clips, especially if you decide to get the photo pass. This ride is one that really shines in that department. And I was wondering why it was called the Seven Dwarfs Mine Train as I'm standing outside because there really is not anything that gives it away as being a Snow White adventure. I just thought, why did they even, I guess they had to throw the Seven Dwarfs in here somewhere because they're so iconic. Well, when you get to about midway through the ride, you realize why it's called the Seven Dwarfs Mine Train and you hear the, I oh, and so it was just so much fun. Um, it's only highlights that one song of the movie and then it kind of has the witch at the very end but super fun ride really fun roller coaster do not want to miss this ride 
as you leave Frontierland, you're kind of heading towards the center of the park again. You're going to see the castle. And before you get to the main Cinderella castle, you run into Prince Charming Carousel. This is just a standard carousel up and down. If you like carousels, you're going to like it. It's extremely large as far as carousels go. It's just really big. I was on it with Anna, the two-year-old, and she thoroughly enjoyed it. And we believe we're not 100% that this was one of the original rides in Disneyland. Right across from the carousel is the Princess Fairy Tale Hall. And if you have fast passes to meet some of the princesses, that's where I believe there's four different princesses that, that live in that area. And as you continue around again counterclockwise, we're heading towards Liberty Square. You're going to hit a couple more of the big rides, one of them being Peter Pan's Flight. This is one of those, again, story rides where you kind of go through the whole movie, but you're flying. And so a lot of it is actually underneath you. And I was a little bit concerned about the height because I thought, man, the little one's right on the end. I get, there's not a whole lot keeping you in this ride. You're just kind of sitting in one of these things. I mean, I was holding the baby and there's little ones on the edge, but it wasn't an issue. But with some of the height of it, I mean, it was it was fun. It's definitely the most adventurous ride that some of the little ones are going to be able to go on. If I remember correctly, the things that we're riding in are pirate ships, are they not? Oh, yes, they're pirate ships. Okay, so I remember the pirate ships. And one of the things I liked about this ride, and I was kind of kind of surprised because I just went and looked up how long that ride is. That ride, it says that its runtime is about three minutes. And I thought for sure it must have been longer because just like it is in, in the Under the Sea ride with Ariel, we kind of go through the whole movie. And again, what I love about this is that they bring the animation to life. And so as you look at the animatronic, sometimes it's hard to tell because I really think that some of these animatronics were carved by wood in order to look like the animation because I was really inspecting that stuff. I could be wrong. I haven't gone back and Googled it or anything, but I remember correctly. I mean, these things look like they were whittled from wood. Right across the street is It's a Small World. And this kind of annoyed me that they had two rides right across from each other just because when we went, it was so crowded. There was almost no room to walk in that section. So that was really overcrowded right there in this alleyway. But It's a Small World. I think pretty much everyone knows what It's a Small World is. You're kind of on this boat. You're going around. You hear It's a Small World a million times as you're going through all these different countries. But pretty iconic as it's one of the original rides. That is another one of the rides that debuted at the 1964 World's Fair developed uh, with Walt Disney. From my understanding, Walt Disney partnered up with PepsiCo and then worked in conjunction with UNICEF in order to produce the ride. It's a small world for the 1964 World's Fair. This ride is one that probably older kids may be pretty bored with, but the little ones absolutely loved it. And for the baby, it was perfect. You're in air conditioning. You're just chilling. And, and it's nice and long. So it was pretty relaxing. If you don't mind hearing the same song over and over and over again. And to be precise, you get 14 minutes of It's a Small World. But that's not always necessarily the case. Because I believe we got a much longer ride. Because we took a while to disembark from from our boat and so i i think we we were probably on that ride for at least 20 minutes as you continue going along the next ride that you come to or attraction you come to as you're 
heading into Liberty Square is the Haunted Mansion. The Haunted Mansion, of course, one of the iconic attractions of the Magic Kingdom. For me, probably one of the most traumatic experiences of my life riding in the haunted mansion looking in these possessed mirrors and seeing spirits and ghouls and goblins sitting amongst us that really traumatized me as a kid and it didn't help that when we were on the ride and and i was four at the time i was oscar's age the ride broke down in front of the crystal ball that had a head in it and i don't know how long we were there for but when you're four Two, three minutes can seem like an eternity. And when you're scared out of your mind, my goodness, I would definitely not recommend taking children on this. And some of our older kids said that they were a little freaked out by it and didn't want to ride it. Um, Choose wisely on that one. Thanks. Definitely good advice. We're heading into Liberty Square and there's not a ton going on here. There is the Hall of Presidents, which unfortunately for us was closed because they were updating it for the new president. And that was extraordinarily disappointing for me because maybe I was just a weird kid. I I have no idea why were the Carousel of Progress and the Hall of Presidents my favorite things as a kid. When I left as an eighth grader, those were the two most impactful, most enjoyable attractions of Disney World. And as a 40-year-old, I don't feel any different. I was extraordinarily disappointed that we didn't get to see the presentation of the Hall of Presidents. I had disconnected uh, and stopped watching the news and listening to the radio and that kind of thing for a little bit before our trip. So I uh, honestly had forgotten that we had a new president and that they would even need to uh, revise the presentation. But when I did get to see it as uh, President Barack Obama was the the current and sitting president, as well as the the host slash mediator of this group of animatronic characters of our past, of our nation's past. It was so magical to me. When I went to see it as an eighth grader, it was President Bush, the first President Bush, uh, Herbert Walker Bush. And I did see it again in college, and this would have been in 97. So I've gotten to see it with some different presidents. It's been really cool. And one of the things that I find so neat about this attraction, what I remember it, of it, was how these guys are constantly moving. You know, they're shifting their positions. They're, you know, moving their legs. Or It really is, it's, it's this really neat experience to see these leaders, again, of our nation's past and uh, have a collection of them. One of the other things that's in this area that we did not ride, although, John, I don't know if you've ridden this before, is the Liberty Square Riverboat. I have been on that, and it's very much just like a Mississippi Riverboat, if I remember correctly. I, we didn't ride it this time, but, yeah, I mean, you you get on a boat. It's a riverboat. You go from point A to point B, maybe back to point A. I don't remember, but it, it was a riverboat. Okay. Thanks. Um, so I'm going to move on to Adventureland, which is the next land that you come to. Swiss Family Robinson Treehouse. Strangely, well, maybe not strangely. It's one of my favorite things. One of the things I was most excited to see. I love Swiss Family Robinson. I read the books when I was little. I was excited to see the movie that Disney did. Um, when I, I don't know which came first for me, if it was the movie first and then the books or the books and the movie, but it was all within my youth. And so 
I was really excited to see this. I got to walk through it. If there's a line, you don't get to decide the pacing of walking through. You're kind of just subject to the group that you're in. And there was a lot of people when we were there. So, but it's just going upstairs and going down the stairs. So I had to carry the baby for kids who are able to walk well. It was fine, but probably for toddlers, not great unless you're going to be carrying them because you're really just going up and downstairs and looking at items. There's nothing interactive about this at all. And from what I remember in watching different different documentaries and, and from some of the research that I, I did while I was in film school, there was a period of time where Walt um, was so focused on, on things like building Epcot and uh, the Magic Kingdom and Walt Disney World that he kind of took his eye off the ball when it comes to animation. And so there was a period of Walt Disney's history um, as far as the studio is concerned, where they stopped making animation altogether. And it was movies like Swiss Family Robinson and TV shows like Treasure Island that kind of sent the studio um, down the road of being pretty much what all those studios were back in the golden age of Hollywood through the 60s and 70s to the point where when The Little Mermaid being released in 1989 and then subsequently Beauty and the Beast in 1991, where industry experts and historians began calling it a Disney renaissance when uh, the company shifted its main focus uh, as far as entertainment and, and feature-length films being animation. The next attraction that you come upon is the Magic Carpets of Aladdin. Again, this is what I like to call the round and round up and down ride, <laughs> except on the magic carpet now, exactly like the elephants and kind of like the rocket ship, except now you're on a magic carpet. So good for little and mid-sized kids. Older kids are probably going to be pretty bored by this ride. This one was, uh, wasn't too bad. I know I, I said I hated Dumbo. Uh, Dumbo's cute. I mean, come on. These rides are, or this ride, it's kind of funny because there is a camel in this camel spits. And I remember mentioning to, I can't remember who I was riding this ride with. It was one of the kids. And I said, we got to be careful because the camel spits. And as soon as I said that, I got splashed. <laughs> uh, right across the way from that is the Jungle Cruise. And unfortunately for me, we rode this ride on our second day at the park, which was after we went to the Animal Kingdom. So compared to the Animal Kingdom, this was kind of lacking. But I guess if you did this before you went to the Animal Kingdom, it wouldn't be so bad. But you're just in a small boat going around a river. You're supposed to be going through all these different countries and seeing these things, but it's all animatronics and it's kind of dated, I would say. That's, again, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because that actually, again, is one of the original rides of the Magic Kingdom, the, the Jungle Cruise. And so consider a time when Animal Kingdom didn't exist and that the closest you could get to a, a Jungle Cruise was, was this. And so I think that it's, that you're right, it's, it's definitely dated, um, but, but you kind of have to take it for, for what it is um, and, and what it is not is the safari from Animal Kingdom. I will say the little ones really enjoyed it because the animals you could see much closer. It was obvious what they were. So they got excited about seeing the elephants. It really was a lot of elephants. And 
in the water and our cruise director, I will call it. I don't know what she's called, the person steering the boat. She was pretty hilarious. And so I enjoyed just listening to her. She was cracking a lot of jokes. Next ride that you're going to come across is one of the bigger ones, which is Pirates of the Caribbean. I have to say this is one that I felt was kind of deflating. A lot of hype, a long wait to get in the ride. And I just felt like it was a long ride that just, I don't know, it's just animatronics. I guess I'm just not into that kind of setup because, and kind of it was creepy. I was surprised at how you know, for the little ones, I was a little concerned that they were going to be scared by some of the, the images that they showed. I think that uh, you you definitely hit the nail on the head because when I went to uh, ride this initially, the one thing that I knew about it was that when it was previewed at Disneyland and ridden by Michael Jackson, that he loved it so much that he had this ride to scale rebuilt in uh on his neverland ranch and so i knew that i also uh remember going on this pre-pirates of the caribbean so i think it came out in what 2002 2003 and so you know i think i rode this probably a solid 10 or 11 years before we had johnny depp playing captain jack sparrow so i very much remember this being scared and being creepy one of the, the images that was burned into my mind was a skeleton steering, you know, the big wheel of the pirate ship. There being a storm in the background and there being jewels and gold everywhere and thinking, I wonder if that's real. Could I reach out and grab that? And then being scared that I'd get kicked out of the park, I didn't do it. But you're absolutely right. And so after Pirates was released and became a major franchise for the Disney company, uh, they incorporated Johnny Depp. So in several places as Captain Jack Sparrow. But you're right. Um, it's kind of dark and, and it's not that exciting a ride. The good side is it's very cool. So if it's a hot day, it's a nice ride to just cool off and sit down. And everyone can ride it. I, again, I was concerned about the smaller kids being scared by some of the images. But there was nothing that jumped out at you. I don't think that they were adversely affected by this ride. And the baby didn't seem to mind because it was it was dark and nothing scared him. There was no loud noises. If you think about it, it's very, very much it's a small world, but scary pirate. So the last part of the park that you come to is Frontierland. And unfortunately, John and I did not get to ride any of the rides that were in this section. Uh, there is Tom Sawyer Island. And I really wanted to go over there and check that area out, but we just didn't have time to do that. So I'll have to put it on my list for next time. But um, joining us now to talk about the two major rides that are in this section is our special guest, David. David, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Sure. And so we would like your input first on Splash Mountain. Splash Mountain is probably one of my favorite rides, and it's really nostalgic because my dad took me a while back when I was like four or something and I thought it was kind of scary at first because like it was dark and like these vultures were on top and then these like weird sounds but I've grown into a like to it and it's become really nostalgic. So my question about Splash Mountain is do you get very wet on this ride? Yes. Unless you use someone as a human shield. <laughs> okay. Now, I, I, I do believe that this ride is based on 
a movie in the Walt Disney Vault that, because of, I guess, the time it was made and social change, has not been released, The Song of the South, the story of, of, of Br'er Rabbit and company. I loved that movie when I was little. Yeah, they actually don't have a VHS or DVD release. The only way you could watch it now is pirated. Wow, that's interesting. I actually really like that movie. The songs. People somehow like made it racial. Yeah, racial, and that's why. That's understandable. It is understandable, and and while I understand that, I, I sometimes I just wish that you know when things like this, like for the Song of the South, so many hundreds, possibly a thousand people put their heart and soul into this movie to make it what it was. And due to social change, people are looking at it and not doing so in the proper context. So that's the thing that really bugs me about that because I'm so freaking sorry, but I want to hear zippity doo da zippity a. I, I just, I want to see the song of the South again. I saw it in theaters in a reissue when I was a kid and I really wish they would release it. But um, again, due to uh, social pressures and people with the inability to open their minds to historical context seem to be keeping us from doing that. That's my two cents on the matter. But like the most interesting man alive, my two cents is actually worth a buck eighty seven. So Splash Mountain, this ride is for 40 inches and higher. So mid-size to larger children can ride this uh, not so much for toddlers but probably a four or five year old would be just fine on this ride um let's move on to the big thunder mountain railroad david what did you like about this ride or what did you think about it i really liked big thunder mountain because i actually really enjoyed the seven dwarves ride and it's actually very similar and i still really enjoyed both of them now if i do remember correctly and i i think i do Big Thunder Railroad. That's what it's called, right? Big Thunder Railroad. Big, Big Thunder. Oh, that's such a mouthful. I do believe that is based on the Matterhorn, which is a roller coaster, the original roller coaster of Disneyland in California. This ride is also for uh, passengers 40 inches and higher. So don't take your toddlers over to this corner of the park because they cannot ride either one of the rides that's over there and they will be sad and probably cry. Okay, so that wraps it up for the Magic Kingdom. We're going to hop over to the Animal Kingdom. And when we were there, unfortunately, Pandora World of Avatar was not yet open. And uh, I did not even notice where they were building it, honestly. They hid the construction so well, but apparently it was very close to being completed. It's now open. I've heard from some of my friends who have friends who have been that this world is amazing so not to be missed when you go so let's dive right into some of the rides here there's no rides when you first walk in in the oasis section it kind of forces you to move on to discovery island the park is separated into somewhat of these island sections but they're all kind of connected the section in the middle is actually an island as it's surrounded by water Again, we'll move in a counterclockwise direction. The first ride you're going to come to is It's Tough to Be a Bug. And it's not really a ride. This is more of an attraction. I was not sure what this attraction was. However, I had a fast pass for this for some of the littler ones. And it actually is a show. It's kind of neat because you get to go under the 
big tree that's in the middle of the island and you don't really realize that's where you are. But it's nice and cool in there, so that's the upside. The downside is that it's supposed to be one of these like 40 shows. And so they actually shoot some water and blow air and there's a few loud noises. Um, the one thing I'll say about the show is I'm, I'm sure it was entertaining. I did not get to watch most of it because I was carrying the baby and he quickly, quickly was scared during this. And so I had to take him out. So it was not good for one-year-olds, definitely more of a you know, toddler and, and small children. I don't know that older children are really going to be at all entertained by this. But it is a show you get to sit down for a while. You got to get to cool off. So those are the upsides. Looking at the map here, Discovery Island, that is actually the only attraction on Discovery Island. I do know that there are several character meet and greets. So there's Mickey and Minnie. They live in the Avengers Outpost here. Also, um, Flick does make some random appearances throughout the day. And I think you could check the schedule for that. So if you have a fan of Bugs Life, you definitely want to try to do a character meet and greet with him. And he's just kind of out. You kind of have to catch him when he's outside. If you move on to the island that's uh, directly to the right of this or uh, counterclockwise, you move into the dinosaur section, which they have called Dino Land USA. And the first section that you come to is... Uh, the Boneyard. While this is not an, a ride or really an attraction, I did want to talk about this because we actually spent a large amount of time in the Boneyard. This is actually a very large and very super cool play yard that they've named the Boneyard. It is elaborate. There's so many levels. It's got a little bit of everything. I mean, the big kids to the little kids enjoyed running around. Not only that, there was this bridge that you could cross and take you into a different section of the boneyard where there was like these pebbles and had all these bones and I said pebbles I mean they were really little pebbles for kids to supposed to be digging up bones but of course it turns into just playing and it's shaded and there's a water fountain there so we did this probably in towards the end of the day and it was a such an amazing break for us to take just to be able to let, especially if anyone has little kids or kids just have a lot of energy to just run around. You don't have to wait in a line. You just go and hang out in the shade as an adult or as a kid, just run around. And it was, it was amazing. And then speaking about older kids having fun, like I'm 13. I had a lot of fun in that. And I felt like three years old. So we really enjoyed the Boneyard. If you don't do anything else in Dino Land, if you have smaller kids or even older kids just to take a break, and kick your feet up or throw some sand slash rocks. <laughs> this is the place to do it. I do remember the Boneyard extremely well. It was, it was an extremely nice break to have. But one of the things that I did witness that I wanted to throw uh, in was, I remember saying this to a friend of mine, and I said one time, while Disney World is supposed to be the happiest place on Earth, I think it's also a lot like Walmart. And that I have seen more angry, irate, losing their minds, parents, <laughs> at, at Disney World as I have at Walmart. And so uh, I think they're about equal. But well, while we were in the Boneyard, I looked over and I noticed what seemed to be about maybe a 10-year-old only child who was playing with some other kids. And... As soon as the other kids started flicking some of the sand, the mother of this 10-year-old lost her mind and started yelling at, at the top of her lungs and 
nobody was paying attention to her. And so it was really funny to me, but I thought that it was, it was fascinating that she was trying to speak up. And then when her husband showed up later and she was rehashing the story, she was telling the story at a very loud volume so that we would all hear her. And it was just funny because nobody paid her any mind and she just kind of left. I don't remember that at all, actually. The big ride in this section is a ride that's simply called Dinosaur. I did not ride this ride. David, what did you think of this ride? Was it scary? Mm, a little bit. <laughs> I don't remember a whole lot about the ride, but I do remember getting off the ride, feeling very exhilarated. I, I don't have much recollection, but it was fun. It was enjoyable. So it looks like there's animatronics in this ride as the dinosaurs, and you're riding around in a cart type of uh, Jeep? Yeah, something like that. Okay, would you recommend this ride for little kids? It's uh, for 40 inches and higher, but would smaller kids possibly be too scared to ride this ride? If you do, like, um, maybe seven years old at least. Because, I mean, I'm 13, six years older than the recommended, and I got scared a little bit. Okay, so maybe scary for the for the smaller kids that are able to ride it, but a little bit scary. Um, that's the really big ride in this land. The other rides are kind of carnival-type rides. There's the Triceratops Spin, which is another one of these up-down, round-and-round rides. I won't say too much about that, but Oscar absolutely loved it and insisted on riding it several times. The good thing is there's absolutely almost no line for it because it's not very popular. Um, and so if you have a little kid, you can ride it multiple times and it will be amazing every time. So right across the way from this is the primeval whirl. And unfortunately, the bad part about this ride, while it looks really exciting, is that you have to be 48 inches or taller. So only for mid to larger children. And since the Triceratops spin is for small children, we had crying babies who wanted to ride this and were not tall enough to because they could see it from Triceratops spin, but they weren't able to ride it. So that's kind of the downside. Um, so it's, it's good they have a ride for the little ones, but it's bad that it's right across the way from a ride that they are unable to ride. So possibly some drama there, just a fair warning. Um, may want to avoid the whole land if you don't have someone tall enough to ride all those rides. Um, as you continue to walk around the park, the next thing you will come to is Finding Nemo, the musical. So this is an attraction. Again, not a ride, but this is a show. I was really excited to see this and especially to take Anna because she loves Nemo. And she really enjoyed the show. We didn't have the best angle because we were one of the last to get into the theater just because it was a long line waiting outside. I didn't realize the angle that we would be at. But it was a lot of fun. There's a lot of music in there I've never heard before. They basically turned Nemo into a musical, exactly how it sounds. But it's a full stage production. And it's really neat to see a lot of the characters that are fish because you think how are they going to do this on stage when there's obviously no water and no fish and probably people who have seen these type of musicals before know how they do it with the animals but they just have the character standing literally right there in front of you not trying to hide or anything as they're holding their fish costume and they act just as much as they make the character act so it's really neat watching the actors in this musical, sing and, and dance as well as make their puppets sing and dance at the same time. So it was thoroughly entertaining and definitely worth it, not to mention 
in the shade and a great time to to sit down and, and relax. Around how long was the show? I'm pretty sure that this show is about 30 minutes long, so quite a wait outside as you're waiting for the show. I believe you can get fast passes for this, though, if you want to be one of the first ones into the theater and get some better seating into this one. The next ride that you come to is one of the biggest rides and probably one of my favorite rides, which was Expedition Everest, Legend of the Forbidden Mountain. Now, this is a very large and very fast roller coaster. There is a height restriction on this, and you have to be 44 inches to ride this ride. I was able to ride it several times, once in the day and once in the night, and they were different experiences each time. But it was a really exciting roller coaster, which I enjoyed. And one part of it actually popped out and scared me the second time because I didn't notice it the first time, so that was kind of fun. Yeah, um... When I first were on the ride, and then um, it showed the this broken piece, I actually thought something was wrong with the ride, and it, it just stopped. I'm like, we're going to be stuck here for the rest of the day. <laughs> and then we went backwards, and that freaked me out. I thoroughly enjoyed this ride. Uh, we, we have a lot of appearances by Yeti, a.k.a. the Abominable Snowman. So I think the whole time we're being... Are, are we pursuing... Him or her or I don't I don't I, th- I think it's a dude because we're going to call him a dude because he's a snowman. I think he's definitely a, a dude. OK. OK. So Yeti, which rhymes with Letty. Interesting. <laughs> uh-huh. But so it's a guy's name. All right. So with the abominable snowman, do we remember is he chasing us or are we chasing him? I know he's at least chasing us like towards the end like when we stop you see a shadow like cast in the light and i know he's chasing us then but for the rest i think we're trying to find him that would make more sense since it's expedition everest or or are we on expedition and he's showing up i think that's what it was okay okay that makes more sense that makes a lot more sense and and i know i sound a little maybe spaced out as far as my recollection to the right I was just connecting with the people that I was there with. I know that we got to, during the line, I remember moving through it extremely quickly, but I remember them painstakingly, as Disney always does to preserve the magic, having these offices or expedition uh, houses, clubhouses or something like that, where it made it look like you were walking in the museum and like you were there. I thought they did a really good job with that and um again as far as the ride i I didn't pay that much attention to the story but i remember having so much fun with everyone as i believe i rolled it twice the next ride that you come to is another big and fun ride which and i may be saying this wrong but Calai river rapids this ride is 38 inches and higher so not great for the little bitty kids but oscar was able to ride it and he's four which was really exciting we were all able to ride it together uh one of the few rides that we were able to all ride together and everyone was excited to see who was going to get wet i got soaked and i thought dad and letty were gonna get soaked but nope thanks a lot raft one of the things i didn't like about this was the rapids weren't getting you wet. It was the ride taking you under waterfalls that was getting you wet. And so it was a very fun, memorable ride for me. Only one of my pant legs on my shorts got wet. And I was lucky that my phone was waterproof. And so I, I didn't have to worry about that. 
But one of the most memorable things about this ride for me was the elderly couple that came and sat next to us. Because as they sat our party, they brought two older people, senior senior citizens, yeah, probably in their mid-60s. And the wife was very vocal with her, what I would think would be an inner monologue. As she sat down next to me, she looked at me and said, wow, those look really scary as she was observing the ink on my left arm. And I just started laughing and she just started going on and on about how scary my tattoos looked, but how I just seemed like a really nice guy. And after the ride, she actually <laughs> continued to talk to me and said, it was so nice riding with your family. So it was pretty funny for me. So this ride is pretty much exactly what it sounds like. You're in a big raft. And I was actually expecting this ride to be much more tumultuous than it turned out being. It's a, it was calm as far as the rapids were concerned. And, and as we stated earlier, you get wet more from the waterfalls than the actual falling down anything. I was a little disappointed with that too. <laughs> but it was super fun and you do not want to miss this ride. The only other attraction in this area is the Jungle Trek, which due to time and mobility issues, we did not embark on. So I will just leave it at that. Um, as you continue around the park, the next country that you come upon is Africa. Africa. In this area, there's a few things that we did not do, but you can do. You have the Wildlife Express train, which will actually take you over to a different section of the park. Rafiki's Planet Watch is over there. Uh, we did not do that, but it looks like a pretty cool little train, a section that's totally separated from the rest of the park. It's so funny because I thought that I had kind of scoured over the park. I mean, I thought I'd, I mean, we opened and closed the park and now I'm realizing I missed so much. Uh, one of the other things that we missed out on was the Gorilla Falls Exploration Trail. Again, a lot of this is trails and walking, so you definitely want to be in the mood of, of walking. And I think after a day of walking around Magic Kingdom, we just weren't up for it on that day. But if you are in the mood and you enjoy hiking, there's definitely a lot of things to to be seen here. But the ride that we did go on is the Kilimanjaro Safaris. And I think that's actually the big attraction in this park. We were able to go twice, once during the morning and once in the evening when it was dark. Right before they closed, we went over there because we figured there wouldn't be a line and there was not. So we were able to ride it a second time. I enjoyed it more in the evening. I remember specifically the evening ride because while we were there, we found a really, really nice seating area where we ate dinner and overlooked uh, the beautiful lake and, and Everest. It was absolutely gorgeous. But when we were there, a Disney employee, I'm sorry, a Disney cast member had sparked up a conversation. I think he and I probably talked for almost 20 minutes off and on. And he told me that if I wanted to hear a lion roar, that it was best to go and ride the safari in the evening so i went specifically in hopes to hear a lion roar and while we didn't hear the lion roar we saw a male lion and several lionesses out so that was really cool to see at night and then i don't remember how long we were held up but a rhinoceros was there and it was huge and they needed it to move. <laughs> and so it was, it was pretty, pretty neat to run into a rhino. 
I actually think the rhino almost rammed into the truck. <laughs> the other really cool thing about this safari is that it's great for everybody. They really catered to those that were handicapped with strollers. It was one of the few rides that they really kind of took care of you in that department. As far as parking the stroller for you with the handicap, you were able to stay on your scooter all the way until you got on to the actual uh, Jeep. And then you just sat there. The kids absolutely loved it. All the kids, especially the little ones. And my favorite part was Anna because every time she saw a bird, she said it was a ducky. <laughs> So every bird in this park is a ducky. That's <laughs> so, hilarious. And she really enjoyed seeing like the giraffes and the animals that she recognized. She got super excited. And we saw a surprising amount of animals um, in the short time frame that we were on the safari. And not that the safari was short. It actually felt like it was a very lengthy ride. And so it was worth the wait, I would say. So surprisingly, this actually wraps it up for the Animal Kingdom. There's not a ton of rides. Again, there are a lot of trails. There's also some really fun meet and greets at this park. Some of the characters here you will not find in the other parks. So you have uh, Pocahontas is at this park. Again, Flick is at this park. So if you want to do the character meet and greets, there's even Mickey and Minnie, which I mentioned before. But a lot of times since this park is not as popular as the other parks, if you want to do character meet and greets, but you don't care waiting in the longer lines that you'll find at the Magic Kingdom. The lines are going to be a little bit shorter at this park, simply because people don't think of it as a character meet and greet. So be sure to check out the app, which will have the characters where they are and how long the waits are usually for them if you if you want to see them. And a lot of animals, actual animals, live in this park. And so that's just, just really neat. I will say that this park makes for a great kind of chill day because there's not as much to do ride-wise and it's more at your own pace and kind of walking around casually that if you just hit the Magic Kingdom the day before, which is really busy, this park is great to kind of uh, almost take a break and you could probably squeeze the whole park into half a day if you wanted to and just take the other half of the day off. But then again, on the other hand, you could also probably stretch this park into two days if you wanted to. Uh, one other thing I want to mention before we quickly move on to the next park is we were unable to see the Rivers of Light show, which was extremely disappointing. We thought we were going to be able to see it, and we were really looking forward to it. However, come to find out, they don't do this show every night. So if you are interested in seeing the Rivers of Light show, which is on the water, and from what I understand, there's some things floating in the water, but of course they have lights on the water as well, which is why it's called Rivers of Light. But it's not every evening, so check the schedule and be sure to plan the day that you go to be one of the evenings that they will have this show. And speaking of shows, that's actually a really good transition into the last park that we're going to talk about, which is uh, Disney's Hollywood Studios. And while there are definitely a lot of fun rides, there's also almost just as many amazing shows to see. So we'll try to talk a little bit about at least the shows that we were able to see and just kind of mention the ones that we were unable to see. The trick to this park, especially if you only have one day there, is trying to squeeze everything in. Look at everything and figure out what is most important to you, the must-see events, and plan your day around those because the timing of the shows is actually the most difficult thing to navigate as you go into this park. As you first come into the park, you're actually on Hollywood Boulevard. And this park is set up to look like Hollywood Studios, obviously, where its names came from. And so you'll see a lot of studio-ish looking buildings around. 
we will work actually clockwise in this park and turn to the left. You'll see the lake. And just beyond the lake is the Indiana Jones Epic Stunt Spectacular. We were not able to see this show. I don't think anyone in our party was able to see it, but it is supposed to be spectacular, thus its name. So if you're able to and you like Indiana Jones, I think it's the same show that has been forever. So back in 2008, when my dad took me, I remember going to see Indiana Jones and I really, really enjoyed it. I thought the stunts were amazing. They had like an actual explosion on stage. I thought it was like really, really cool. Kind of across the way from that is the ABC Sound Studio, where you will find Star Wars Path of the Jedi. David, what do you think about that? Or what is it exactly? It's basically like this promotional video. It's kind of like a trailer, but with all seven movies, not including um, Rogue One, a Star Wars story. It's basically like a trailer and just explaining the entire storyline for people who have never seen Star Wars before. Oh, interesting. So... If you don't know anything about Star Wars, since Hollywood Studios is also now Star Wars Studios, <laughs> you can go there first and get the uh, get the download on what Star Wars is all about in case you missed the last 40 years. You don't know what Star Wars is. You're dead to me. Real quickly, before we move on to anything else, I wanted to talk about the Jedi training. So this is kind of a show that they have throughout the day that they actually involve kids in the show to become a Jedi. And if you want to participate, there's an age range, and I forget exactly what it is, so look it up. I think it ends at like 10 or 11. Yeah, I don't think they do anything higher than 12. Um, We had two that were able to do it. The thing is, you have to get to the park early to sign up to be part of Jedi training. So if you want your child to be in training, and it can be for boys or girls, go early and sign up for training, and then they will give you a specific time that your child will be in the show on this time. And then you have to show back up to training. And this sign up happens at the Indiana Jones spectacular where that is, is where the sign up is first thing in the morning. So that's why I'm mentioning it here. This is where you sign up. And then just down the way is the actual stage where they do this show. Now, one of the things that I wanted to bring in is the fact that this show and the way you become part of it has drastically changed since the last time that I was down at Hollywood Studios. When I was last there, they had a Jedi teacher who randomly chose kids out of the crowd. And this was generally done as the Indiana Jones Spectacular was releasing. And so that's how they generally had huge crowds there. So Joseph, our oldest, he was able to do this when he was, I want to say six, I think he was six when he did it. And uh, I remember we camped out, we were outside in the blistering heat for probably about 45 minutes. And there were 14 kids chosen and he was number 14. And it's funny because I actually still have photographs from that day, as well as the Jedi Academy training certificate that he received. But as Letty said, it is drastically different. So if you want your kid to participate, you need to sign up. And sign up early. You'll get better time slot selections. Now, the other thing we didn't know was when it actually came time for the show, it kind of makes a difference. They pick 20 kids now for the show. 10 of them will be on the stage and the other 10 will be just off the stage. Now, why this matters is the 10 kids that apparently are on the stage will get the opportunity of fighting 
Darth Vader. The other 10 who are on the ground floor have to fight someone who they have named the Inquisitor, which of course just is not as cool. Now, we did not know any of this going into it. And what we're pretty sure happened is when you are showing up to actually be in the show at your allotted time, the first 10 kids that arrive will be the first 10 to actually end up on the stage. And since we were running behind as we were running from another show to this one, we ended up being in that second group. So while we had a reserve spot, we were in the second group, which meant that our two boys were now fighting the Inquisitor, which I did not realize ahead of time. So not only did they just fight the Inquisitor, but they also had no time on the main stage. So that is something to take into account. If you want your kid to fight Darth Vader, and now that, that's not always a, a guarantee either, because I've been told that the shows do change, because in this particular one, we were watching two female Jedi, uh, one who was a Padawan learner, and she was facing her fears, and her fear was Kylo Ren. So it was pretty badass, I'm just going to say. It was pretty badass to see Kylo Ren, to hear Adam Driver's voice or somebody who sounded exactly like Adam Driver just storm that stage was absolutely enthralling. Then on top of that, what made it even a little funny was the fact that the, the main stage kind of looks like the bunker from uh, the planet Endor, or the, the moon planet of Endor uh, from Return of the Jedi. And so, you know, it's got these doors and then they're smoke filled and Darth Vader comes out. Well, Kylo Ren does as well. And it was really funny because our four-year-old Oscar assisted, as, with, as did all of the, the, the little kids, in using the force to push Kylo Ren back into this bunker. And afterwards, Oscar was so excited as he ran up and said, Daddy, Daddy, I pushed Kylo Ren into the bathroom. And I just <laughs> thought, what? And I looked at the, at, at the stage and I saw the bunker and I thought, you know, it, it kind of does look like a lot of the bathrooms around here. So uh, Oscar's experience was pushing Kylo Ren back into the bathroom. Use the force. I would like to take this moment to extend an apology to my mother and to really everyone that was with us that day, because this was the point of my emotional breakdown as I had built up in my mind exactly what would happen during this Jedi training for Oscar. Tragedy struck as he was in training. And he, of course, since I was loading him up with water, it was a super hot day. And this was happening at 1.30, which is probably the hottest time during the day. He had to go potty. And so I tried to rush him through the crowd. I couldn't find the bathroom. I finally found the bathroom. And I think a show had just gotten out and there was a line. By the time we got back, he actually missed the one-on-one -on -one combat, which I thought was going to happen with Darth Vader. And come to find out, it was actually only with the Inquisitor. And had I known that, I wouldn't have been upset because <laughs> I didn't really care about that. I thought he missed out on Darth Vader. And my mom tried to tell me that, you know, it wasn't that big of a deal and don't let this ruin my whole day. And of course, I'm just bawling for several minutes over this. So I apologize to you, mom. I, it was not anything I should have cried about, but I, w I was emotional and I was hot. I felt so bad for you um, because not only was she going through that, but I was going through a couple epic fails myself um, in that when the kids showed up, I thought that it was going to be pretty much the same thing that it was several years ago when Joseph went through. Come to find out it was not. Here, 
we got there early enough to where we could choose where we were going to be situated in relation to the stage. And I arrived there and got right up to the main stage, assuming that all of the children would each have their time on stage as they did before fighting Darth Vader one-on-one picture ops. You know, I thought this is going to be great. I camped out near the main stage as the family all kind of rolled in. They were near the section where there were, I think there were dots painted on the ground. And uh, that's where the other 10 kids that were offstage fighting the Inquisitor were placed. Now, before the kids got there, as the family rolled in, I waved them down and said, no, no, come over here. We all have a better view of the main stage. Well, here again, the show changed. Not only did the show change, but 10 kids never even went on stage to fight Darth Vader and got stuck fighting lesser character from Star Wars Rebels. Are you freaking kidding me? Are you kidding me? So... So here we are. I now have the entire family move near the main stage. None of us are near the, the kids of ours that, you know, we have an affinity towards. And none of them got on the stage to fight Darth Vader or Kylo Ren. So um, Letty was going through what she was going through. And so was I. And it was kind of funny because I was going to approach her to say, Thank you so much for trying. We did our best. Awesome job. And she looked at me, held her hand up like, don't even look at me. And I thought, what did I do? So uh, she she settled down and, and, and I realized she was not at all mad at me. And usually she's not. So anyways, we'll move on from, from this dramatic <laughs> episode. So needless to say, if you want to do Jedi training, it will behoove you to arrive to sign up early and then also arrive to the training early. We think that's probably your best shot at uh, having a positive and happy experience. And the other lesson that you take away here is remember that it's about the kids. Oscar thought he pushed Kylo Ren back with the force and he was excited about it. And that's all that matters at the end of the day. Um, Moving on, this stage for Jedi training is also right in front of a huge attraction now, which is Star Tours. For the Star Wars fan, this is this is kind of um, it, uh, at least until we get our VR Millennium Falcon ride, which is supposed to come with the opening of Star Wars Land. So Star Tours has been around for quite some time. I don't remember when, but I do know that in, uh, in eighth grade, when I went, which was the summer of 1991, that Star Tours was there. I remember waiting an, ex- an extreme extremely long line, maybe 90 minutes or longer for a ride that I will never forget. Now, at the time, there were no major characters involved in the ride itself. As you walked through the sections of the line, very much like uh, Space Mountain, um, you're walking through a space station, but you see some very familiar faces, namely R2-D2 and C-3PO. Well, now, um, as I have gone throughout the years, they have continually updated this to the point that it is now so random that as I was talking to a cast member, uh, and we'll tell the story about about her later, uh, Delaney from Naboo, um, but she was telling us that if we came 10 days in a row and rode the ride 
20 times every day that we would still not get the exact same ride. And it's cool. Algorithms, they're awesome. I really enjoyed Star Tours, and it's probably become my favorite roller coaster in Disney World or in Orlando, Florida. Um, so who would this ride be good for? Can little kids ride this? I don't know. I didn't ride it. Yes, Oscar loved it. Absolutely loved it. And and so um let me let me just go ahead and tell you tell you my story. Uh early on in the day, uh we rode the ride twice. Later on that evening, um we were led through a special VIP entrance. I won't tell you how we found that, but we were led through a special VIP entrance. And as we were waiting to board the ride, something happened and there was a mix-up and another VIP group was moved in to where we were supposed to be sitting. And we happened to be uh, being hosted by Delaney. Her name was Delaney and her underneath um, her name, as is customary with Walt Disney cast members, would be where they're from. And so she said, uh, hers said Naboo, which is a planet from the Star Wars universe. So we thought that was kind of cool. But she profusely apologized, and um, which it wasn't a big deal. I think we waited maybe seven to ten minutes longer. We got on the ride. But as we exited the ride, she came up to us. She apologized for the experience. And she handed us fast passes uh, that we could use, but we had to use it in Hollywood Studios. Now, so we had to use them before the end of the night. But she gave us this handful of fast passes, which we used to ride Star Tours over and over and over. I think, yeah, we did six times. We went, we went six times in a row, unfortunately. And I need to apologize for my dad. Uh, my dad was waiting outside, hoping to go to Toy Story Mania, his favorite ride. So we kind of left him hanging. But we'll get you next time, Dad. And uh, but we had a we had a great time. So here's yet another example, shining example of a Disney cast member just going over and beyond to help us and to have a, a really great experience. So the height limit on this is actually 40 inches. So toddlers are not able to ride this or babies, just uh, smaller kids and, and older are able to ride this ride. And as we were going through the ride over and over again, and we kept having to come through this VIP entrance, we kept encountering Delaney. And it was really neat the way she she told us uh, a little bit about herself that she was a, a theater major um that she had just finished school and she was contemplating going to work for the walt disney company full-time she was just so cool so down to earth and she sparked up a conversation with joseph david and emery based on david's hat now he happened to be wearing a dipper hat from the tv show gravity falls which is uh a Disney XD TV show. Um, but it was just so great. And I think we ended up probably spending 30 to 45 minutes with her over the period of the evening as we kept encountering her over and over again. So it was, again, a lot of fun and really cool the way a Disney cast member took time out of what, where she could have, you know, gone and spent with other people. She, she hung out with us and, and the boys, and it was really cool. As you pass Star Tours, you find your way into a back corner, which you will see the Muppet Vision 3D, which is not a ride, but it's a show. 
probably my favorite show out of the Disney World attraction. I've loved the Muppets ever since I first watched one of their movies. It just felt really nostalgic, and especially with the two old guys at the end, I believe they're gay, but they're probably my favorite Muppets out of them all. I'm curious, uh, can you remember what the first Muppet movie you saw was? I don't know the name, but it was the um, one in like the 70s where Miss Piggy and Kermit got married was the first one I saw. It was like this kind of old one. Okay, you said they got married. Well, I know that in the Muppets uh, in Manhattan, she she daydreamed their marriage, I think, because there was the Muppet movie, The Great Muppet Caper, Muppets in Manhattan, Muppets in Space, then the reboot, the Muppet movie with um, Jason Segel and Amy Adams, and then the second Muppet movie. I don't remember. I think it was just called The Muppets, wasn't it? Muppets Most Wanted. That's right. I remember in one of them, there was this picture of Kermit and Miss Piggy at their wedding. And then there was actually a ripped picture in the reboot, the first one, 2011. And I actually believed it was a continuation. Cool. Can you tell us a little bit about the Muppet that you had? Didn't you have a stuffed Muppet with Kermit and he had like a mole on his nose and he's wearing a hood? Who is that guy? His first appearance was in um, Muppets Most Wanted. I keep forgetting his name, but he was basically the exact same thing as Kermit, but a dark side, like the Darth Vader of Anakin before he turned into Darth Vader. I don't know his name, but I'm just going to call him Hooded Kermit. Basically, he'd take this green makeup and then and like cover his mole on it so they believe he's the real Kermit. And then he'd put brown makeup, put a mole on the actual Kermit. They think Constantine is Constantine. Good job on remembering that. Thanks for sharing that with us. I know I, I really like the Muppets, but I have to tell you that this day was particularly stressful for me. And so, unfortunately, I did not enjoy my experience in uh, the Muppets 4D theater. I, it, for me, it was... A cooling down period. It was kind of nice when the bubble started dropping from the ceiling. Um, but other than that, it wasn't that enjoyable. And it's funny that Letty brought up that it's in a back corner of the studio because it very much is. And my father and I, when we were uh, flying in formation with our uh, our scooters, we could not figure out how to get out of there. And we were so frustrated. We were going in circles. And I don't even remember. We had to go through like a restaurant seated area. And it was it was kind of insane. And now I know they've used that back corner for a couple of different things. At one point, there was a cars thing. And I remember when I went back in eighth grade, it was uh, the Acme warehouse from Who Framed Roger Rabbit which is no longer there. So, uh, but the Muppets was there. And, and I very much remember Miss Piggy singing dream a little dream as she does in that, uh, in that movie during the, uh, the 40 experience. Um, it, it's exactly the same as it was when I was in eighth grade. So this is a show. And would you suggest this would be good for everyone, the whole family, kids of all ages? I think it would. Like I found it really enjoyable. It was kind of like a return to the, Muppets because 
the second movie in the reboot actually was rated that good, and I didn't actually really enjoy it. And it kind of felt like the sequel I was waiting for to the first movie in the reboot. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, it it, it is kind of disappointing because the, the Muppets is a franchise that I honestly believe that the Disney company just simply does not know what to do with. Here we have uh, Jim Henson's Creature Shop. Now, I'm not sure if all of the Creature Shop is now under Disney or if it's just the Muppets, but let's just focus on the Muppets. They've had this 4D experience there since I was in eighth grade. So this was what in 1991. Uh, so it may have been there even earlier Then on top of that, you know, we had those movies, then they had, you know, a Muppet Christmas Carol Muppets in space. They had a couple other movies and then Jason, uh, Siegel from, um, he was from, let's see, he, how I met your mother. And, uh, one of my favorite movies, uh, forgetting Sarah Marshall, he wrote, and I want to even say he even directed the Muppet reboot. Looked like it was going good places. They even rebooted the TV show. It, it had kind of, you know, it, it seemed to not really know its way. It almost seemed like it was a Muppet parody of The Office. Uh, it, it was funny and it was all right. But then halfway through the first season, because ABC put it straight to order on a full season, they changed showrunners and it was just muddled and all over the place. I even remember when. Imagine Dragons was on it. I think they may even even been on the first episode, but it it just never really found an audience and ended up being canceled. So I, I really think that the Walt Disney Company is just kind of holding on to the Muppets. Like, okay, well, I guess we'll kind of stick them in the vault for now. Well, I hope along with the, probably a lot of other people that they will make a strong return at some point. I totally agree. And, and one character, just really quickly, I just want to throw out that I would love to re- see a resurgence of. Uh, is one that I mentioned uh, a few minutes ago, and that's Roger Rabbit. I'd love to see a reboot of Roger Rabbit. Please, Eddie. (laughs) All right, so with that, we will move on clockwise around the park. You go down a lane, and before you get to the center stage area, one of the theaters to your right, you will find, for the first time in forever, a Frozen sing-along celebration. I was really excited to participate in this, which I knew would be a show because Anna and, well, and really all of our little ones love to watch Frozen. While it's been a few months since they watched it, I was excited for them and I knew that Anna knew all of the songs. So we waited in line, we did this, and I have to say beyond Elsa appearing at the very end of this show to grace us all with her presence and shower snow upon the theater, which was cool. This really was just a walkthrough of all the songs in the movie and so much that not even the characters were on the stage. It was these two other characters talking and kind of walking you through the story in a very abbreviated version. And when it came time to the actual song, you felt like you were just in a very large karaoke session because the video would actually play from the movie with the words along the bottom and the little ball that bounced from word to word to tell you what words to sing or was being highlighted. And so (laughs) this really is a shortened version of the movie that just highlights the songs. And the two characters on stage were funny and I appreciated the job that they did, but there wasn't anybody that you knew and wasn't anyone that you felt attached to so that was kind of the issue with it so if you're a big frozen fan this would be something to watch but otherwise i would say you could probably pass on this 
So that brings us to center stage, which is kind of the heart of the park. Two shows go on here. First is March of the First Order. And I was able to see most of this. So what happens is beginning at the front of the park, you will have Captain Phasma and she is rallying the stormtroopers. And so she comes leading a whole pack of stormtroopers down Hollywood Boulevard in to center stage. And when they get to center stage, they do this kind of uh, military-ish type of marching and saluting or something like that. It was hard to see. They do video it and show it on a big screen so you can see it even if you're not right on the edge. But the streets fill up pretty quickly. So this march happens, I don't know how often, maybe once an hour, down Hollywood Boulevard. So if you catch a glimpse of it, it's kind of fun. And the other thing, which I was not able to see, was uh, Star Wars A Galaxy Far, Far Away, which is a show that looks like it only happens a couple times a day. One of the things I miss about Center Stage was back in the day, before it was Hollywood Studios, when it was referred to as MGM Studios, Center Stage had Mickey's Sorcerer Hat from Fantasia. And... I really, really miss that. I wonder what ha- if if it, that whole thing got dismantled or if it got put away somewhere. But I just absolutely love that, and I miss it. Now, one of the other things that, as you were talking about Star Wars, it reminded me of was as we were in the park, it was so delightful and just brought a smile to my face as I looked around and would occasionally see First Order troops walking around in pairs or in small garrisons. And one of the things that that crossed my mind, and this is going to be a little out there, but it, it did cross my mind. I thought to myself, what if these guys really were the First Order and were kind of policing us? And then I thought, well, I'm not going to do anything that would cause them to, you know, set their rays to stun or, you know, shoot me. So I feel pretty safe with them around. And so it was kind of funny because for the rest of the day, as I kept seeing First Order troops here and there, I, you know, if we were living in the Star Wars universe and if I were, you know, uh, a, the side of the rebellion then, you know, I would absolutely detest and abhor the presence of imperial troops. And yet here I find their their presence quite comforting. So I thought it was kind of fun. So am I saying I would be an Empire supporter? Maybe. I don't think my First Order earrings completely give me away. Or the fact that I would be so much stronger than any Sith that ever lived. But it, we won't go there. Right behind center stage, you're going to find the Great Movie Ride. Now, I believe that this is an older ride. It was like the first ride back when it was MGM Studios. Um, it was like the very first ride that was there. And then in the concrete, there's actually these signatures and hand and feet prints of famous people, including Roger Rabbit, C-3PO, and R2-D2. Now, I'm curious, David, do you have... Any idea where they got that design from as far as the footprints and the handprints in concrete in that big ornate Chinese building? Do you have any idea where that came from? I do not. That's interesting. How about you, babe? Do you know? No. So this is Grauman's Chinese Theater, also known as Man's Chinese Theater, uh, which is a movie theater in Los Angeles or in Hollywood. and. Uh, Along uh, 
Hollywood, I think it's on Hollywood Boulevard. I've been there several times and there's the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And so it's actually modeled after a real movie theater. On top of that, they've been doing Hollywood premieres since Hollywood was Hollywood land. Did you know that the Hollywood sign actually used to say Hollywood land? Yeah. Cool. So you knew that tidbit of information. So back then they were using this theater for premieres. And so you have people like Marilyn Monroe, James Dean, John Wayne. And so that's actually where they got the idea for this design of the great movie ride. And for me, as a movie lover, movie enthusiast, film lover, film student, I love this ride. Absolutely love this ride. And if you've heard the previous episode, then you already heard me tell the story of looking down and seeing the hand and footprints of Mr. Miyagi. So it was it was a really cool time of the day for me. And I absolutely thoroughly enjoyed this ride. So this ride is one where you kind of get put in these very large and we're not sure what to call these. It's kind of like church pews meets a trolley. So you're sitting long rows that are capable of several people wide and extremely long, but it was on wheels. Anyways, a very open type of moving device uh, that you go on and you just progress. And it's kind of almost a lesson in movie history from the past as you go and there's animatronics showing actual scenes and images from these old movies. So seeing the animatronics and seeing just the amount of space, like square footage that's involved in this ride, it's massive. And you just think, how does this continue? How do they have room for all of these things? It is just on and on. And I, and really the whole thing, I feel like, man, this is just like a 15 minute commercial for TCM movies. And they even show like a little commercial at the very end. But while it was kind of neat in that aspect, there, the major downside to this, because it was animatronics and they were playing out some of these scenes, I don't know that all these were really child appropriate, especially for little kids. I was really concerned about um, the one-year-old not liking, like there was some gunshots that were actually shot off. And so there was a, several loud noises and things that were unexpected that happened and some really dark scenes as well. Rodrigo, the one-year-old, um, we went into a scene from the, I think it was the original Alien, with the xenomorph jumping out from different places, the ceiling, the walls, from the ground. And I actually covered his eyes because I didn't want him screaming. Probably a good idea. Now, that movie actually, as David said, was the original ride for MGM Studios. MGM the movie studio had part MGM UA United artists had partnered up with Disney in order to open up this theme park. So what they did was they gave Disney the license to create this ride. And so what we're actually doing is taking a ride through MGM's old library. So from uh, James Cagney and the gangsters, we we end up going through Chicago. Uh, there's a shootout. We have a gangster that takes over and hijacks the ride uh, and then ends up getting it when he tries to steal a jewel from the Indiana Jones set. So it, it's really, really cool. Um, again, may not be the most age appropriate, but whether you're, you're looking at Sigourney Weaver on, uh, in, on the ship in, in Alien, or seeing James Cagney 
with a Tommy gun or, or seeing Tarzan swinging and hearing Tarzan's cry. And another one that I wanted to mention was, uh, yes, they had Casablanca. We, we saw Casablanca, but there was another one that I was trying to remember. Oh, there's so many. Now I just can't remember all of them. I would say that if you especially go with like your parents or anyone older, they would really enjoy this ride because it just brings to life some of those older movies that they would probably remember more than uh, younger people or kids would or anyone who likes old movies. And it, it really is a chronological uh, trip through the history of cinema. Um, as you leave that theater, there's kind of an alleyway just to the side of that. And the first thing you're going to come across is Walt Disney one man's dream. This is the museum, I would say, of the parks and the only one that really highlights uh, Walt Disney specifically. Now, for little kids, the most interesting part of this is going to be that this is where Moana lives. <laughs> At least that's where she lived for us. So we had to go through this to um, be able to meet Moana. Uh, but there's also a little movie that plays in the back of the museum as well that talks about Walt Disney. It was like 15 minutes long or something, but I found it really, really inspiring. What did you find inspiring about it? What did you learn from the movie? I learned a lot of things. Walt Disney lost control over Oswald the Lucky Rabbit in a contract loophole. And then um, that he just was sitting on a train. He was just doodling and he created Mickey just like that. I thought that was pretty interesting, too, to find out uh, that according to his recorded autobiography, which is actually in the Disney archives, I've learned as I've researched a lot of Walt Disney's life recently, just because I'm, I've been interested. I'm actually in the uh, I've started a book uh, as well, not writing a book, but reading a book uh, entitled Walt Disney Hollywood's Dark Prince. So it's a different view of him, but uh, not going so, so much into that. It was really neat to hear his voice, to see his face, and to hear him tell his own story. Because at the end of the day, you're going to have a lot of different voices tell a lot of different perspectives, but only one is going to tell his. And I really liked that this was here, that we got to hear something with Walt's voice, and that he got to talk about Mickey in such a delightful way. Because as I've learned through history, just like David had mentioned, he, he not only lost Oswald, he lost control of a lot of his intellectual property as a result of studios and um, other dishonest people stealing from him and, and, and even suffered a mental breakdown early in his career. So I highly recommend this to anyone who wants to learn about Walt Disney. And our 10-year-old actually said to me, Dad, I didn't know that Walt Disney was a person. <laughs> That's pretty bad. <laughs> but how would he know? How would he know? I mean, he, he didn't watch The Wonderful World of Disney. He's never seen what we've seen. So I, I can understand that this kid born during this day and age thinking that Walt Disney is simply the brand of a really cool, pretty much, you know, a family-oriented film company. Kind of like Jordan, when people don't realize that he's an actual player and they just think he's a shoe. Oh, I know that uh, my boys have seen me wearing Shaquille O'Neal uh, jerseys, and they know who Shaq is, but they didn't know he was a player. They just thought he was the dude who talked about basketball. Anyways, moving on, as you go down this alleyway, you hit uh, what they call Pixar Studios. Of course, the big ride here is Toy Story Mania. We've kind of already told a couple stories about this ride in particular, but this is a... Uh, 
ride that's very similar to the Buzz Lightyear ride where you're sitting in some kind of cart and you have a weapon and you are shooting at things. Yeah. Basically explaining like what the Buzz Lightyear and this ride was like. If you watched the first Despicable Me where um they were like trying to get the big fluffy unicorn, it was kind of like shooting at the alien but much easier on a virtual screen and probably a lot more fun and non-rigged. Yeah, so the good thing about the Toy Story Mania ride as compared to the Buzz ride is I felt that this one was actually extremely accurate as far as your shooting. And so you really felt the sense of competition with you and everybody else. And it shows you the best score of, you know, everyone who rode with you of the day of the month. And so it really is this uh, competition type of of thing for Toy Story Mania. Now, I don't know that this ride is going to be great. I think everyone can ride it, but I don't know that it was great for the babies. In particular, the toddlers seem to be okay with it just because there's enough movement of the cart itself. They didn't really get into the shooting, but for toddlers, they just enjoyed the ride. Babies didn't really like it at all. And anyone who was old enough to shoot and understand what was going on, this is definitely an exciting ride for ages from 5 to, you know, 75. The spinning of the cart was quite jerky. I do remember that. One of the other things that I wanted to mention about this was that unlike the Buzz ride where i believe i don't think it was a thumb i think i think you were actually pulling a trigger on the buzz ride which oh it was it was your thumb okay i stand corrected uh david is saying that you're shooting with your thumbs on the buzz ride so with this one you have a little drawstring and with this string you have a little ball at the end of it and it's staying on it by a knot so if you want to rapid fire this thing you've got to Put that you know little ball between your fingers and really pull and jerk on this thing, and I just remember being maybe a quarter of the way through the ride. I was done. My hand was so tired, and there was a kid who was next to me who was laughing at me because I wasn't shooting anymore because I was so tired with my hands. Definitely an arm workout there. That's pretty much the only thing that's down this alley, although. There are several characters that hang out here. Buzz is here, Woody is here, and also the toy soldier can be found occasionally in this area. I have a friend uh, who lives in Florida and is one of the Disney Platinum people. Said something to me, and as we're about to stop talking about Toy Story Mania, I just wanted to mention this, that the inside tip is that Hollywood Studios is being basically revamped into Star Wars slash Pixar land. So I think that's going to be interesting. Um, and, and it'll be interesting as the years roll on to see if they stick with the Hollywood backlot motif. So as we kind of work backwards towards center stage, we're going to go to uh, another area of the park that's kind of sitting behind the big archway that says Hollywood Studios. This area is a little bit conflicted as to what it wants to be. It doesn't seem to have a common theme because on the one corner you have Voyage of the Little Mermaid, which I think is a show and nobody saw it in our group. Not to say that it's not worth seeing, but I can't speak on it because nobody took the time to do it. In the back, you have the Star Wars launch bay, which I'm not exactly sure everything that goes on there, but there were several characters that lived there. Uh, we, we saw quite a few characters there. There was uh, Chewbacca. There was Kylo Ren. Uh, there were Jawas that were wandering around the place. I'm trying to remember. Now, I, I want to talk about Star Wars Launch Bay. Because for anybody who is a Star Wars fanboy like me, this is the mecca 
of Star Wars right now. I mean, it is amazing. I got to meet Kylo Ren, and as I'm meeting Kylo Ren, not only is this guy imposing, uh, he's taller than me. I I think I could take him, but uh, uh, I tackle him. Anyway, (laughs) when he spoke, he sounded exactly like Adam Driver, exactly as I would imagine Kylo Ren would talk to me if I were in the movies. And it was just the coolest experience for me. On top of that, in the launch bay is what I would consider, maybe some people wouldn't agree, but kind of an end-all, be-all of stores when it comes to Star Wars collection. And then I say that because not only do you see, do you find limited series, limited black series, things like that, but they have costumes there for sale. Some of them are extraordinarily expensive. If I remember correctly, I want to say the First Order armor was maybe $2,500. The guy who's talking to you right now is somebody who spent $1,900 to have armor custom made for me uh, that's now too big so i i've spent some money on my star wars collection and and so everything from kylo ren's costume to a darth vader costume and i'm not sure who makes these and there are very few things online about it i've been on reddit and other message boards to see if anyone's purchased it but i i've yet to run into any thread where anyone's talking about a costume that they've purchased on their own but i was told that the stormtrooper armor it's kind of interesting because i ran into a message board with the 501st and for those of you that don't know what the 501st is that is a fan legion Uh, it's referred to as vader's fist so these are super geeks like me who have their own stormtrooper armor most of whom have made it themselves either they got the molds and did it themselves or they somehow built their own costumes so there's a lot of pride in this and a lot of people that are currently in 501st who have built and made their costumes as screen accurate as possible are really kind of hating on the fact that you can spend a pretty penny and have something just as cool if not cooler than what they have and a few of them sort of sounded off about how they were going to be extraordinarily strict and how they really shouldn't be approving those kinds of things for either the rebel legion which is the fan group of rebels or the 501st so i i did think that it was funny but one person did say that during his inquiry of the costumes with a cast member that you could purchase hot weather slash hot humidity stormtrooper armor that was actually built and made for the cast members there at the park and so you know i'm I'm not sure if if they're just more open i don't know that they have fans in them i mean my my helmet has two fans built into it to keep it cool and it's still hot but i thought that was kind of neat to, to find out that they offer stormtrooper armor for hot weather that that's pretty cool Um, One of the downsides about the characters that you're going to meet in Star Tours and as well as some of the other characters at Hollywood Studios is there is not a fast pass option. You just have to tough it out waiting in these lines. And of course, the lines are a pretty decent length for the more popular characters. One of the other things I wanted to mention about the launch bay is the fact that you also have what feels very much like a Star Wars museum. And I mean, from lightsaber hilts, 
to Stormtrooper armor to Death Trooper armor to, I mean, if you've seen it in a Star Wars movie, this place is a shrine to it. You must go and pay homage. Yes, you must. So while there's not an actual ride or official attraction, there are characters and lots to see at the launch bay. Now, when I say this area is conflicted, right across the way from this is the Disney Junior <laughs> live on stage, as well as more characters. Uh, when we were there, and this probably changes due to popularity, but outside of this stage was four characters that you could meet. So we had. Sophia, we have Doc McStuffins, we have Jake the Pirate, and strangely, we also have Pluto, I believe, the dog. I can tell you that the last time I went there, there were the Little Einsteins, Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, and not, not the people there now. So I, th I believe this changes. Obviously, the most popular character there was Princess Sophia, as her line was probably four times longer than all the other characters, which almost had no wait time. I got to wait in this line twice because we insisted on seeing Sophia. Uh, but it was fun to see her and all the other characters. They do have to take breaks every so often because they're outside and in these pretty large costumes, so you can kind of expect that. But they usually do pretty good at coming right back out again. And what I think is interesting about Princess Sophia, and I did want to bring this up, was because I was looking at the photos today, and I think they're just kind of in a tough spot. Because to me, as I was reviewing these photos of Princess Sophia, I thought the costume was just super creepy. I just thought it looked so odd, so strange, so weird. Because we're talking about a little girl who's a Disney princess, but she's not quite a Disney princess. And I say that just in the, in the fact that she's 3D animated and she can't be played by a real person. And so unlike everybody from Rapunzel, to Pocahontas, to Moana, to even the girl from Brave, they have a very strange 3D animated costume that just looks weird. Yes, I think that Disney would be in a hard spot. I mean, it would be cool to meet a little girl who's dressed up as Princess Sophia and she, you know, they say she's Sophia, but they're not going to employ 10-year-olds for this slot. Yeah, I don't think 10-year-olds can be uh, on the college intern program. Maybe they can be. But for me, you know, and, and I, I love Princess Sophia. It's tough for me because, honestly, I, I don't know how many times the show has played in this house. Hundreds, I'm sure. I don't know the episodes that well, but I do know the voices. And I've come to recognize many of the voices. And I really like Ariel Winter. She's from, uh, she plays Alex on Modern Family. She does the voice of Princess Sophia. So even though I know she looks nothing like uh, Princess Sophia, the character, when I think of somebody who should play her, I just think, well, just get Ariel Winter to do it. So anyways, that's kind of our ramblings about <laughs> the characters. But for all the little kids and anyone who's a fan of those shows, it was worth the wait and they enjoyed meeting the characters. Now, Disney Junior Live on stage, I was not sure what this show was going to be like. This show is interesting because when you go in, they actually have you sitting on the floor and the stage is raised above you a few feet. And the reason for that being, as I found out, was that the characters, because they're all from Disney Junior, they opted to go with Muppets of these characters, which is kind of fun. And so there's one actual person on stage and the, all the other, and she's kind of, you know, the guide. She's not affiliated with anything that you'd see on TV, but she kind of talks to the Muppet characters and they go through this little mini abbreviated kind of 
30-minute episode of Disney Junior shows. So I believe they can change it. It's kind of a storyboard thing. And, and it was a lot of fun. And of course, the most exciting thing is the child participation. So they did have things that fell from the ceiling, but they encouraged the little kids to stand up and dance. And of course, they're assuming that most of these children are familiar with the shows. And I believe that they are. And even for our kids who at the time was not terribly familiar with all the shows, although now they are, I think because we went there and they were more excited to see them, but they still enjoyed pretending to sing along and dance along, even though they really had no clue what was going on. As a mom who had little children, it was such a relief to just sit on the floor and especially with the baby, just to let him kind of crawl around and not have to worry because everybody there had little kids. So that was a really fun show for the little ones, which is a good thing because unfortunately, as we go down the road to this section of the park, the next section we're going to be talking about, and coincidentally, the last section, there's almost no ride that they can ride in this section of the park. The first big thing you're going to come to is actually a show, Beauty and the Beast, live on stage. I thought that was interesting. That was one that I attended. And having seen the movie just recently and having such a love for the original, I wanted to see this show. I saw the show and it really was basically, as, as Letty described, Frozen. It was just kind of a a sing-along. I think it, I want to say it lasted almost 40 to 45 minutes. It was long. But we, we went through all of the songs of Beauty and the Beast. And so... In many ways, I as I sat back watching this and, and watching it all unfold, I thought, oh, I guess this must be what Beauty and the Beast on Broadway is like. I wish I could have seen it, but I was off tending to little ones, as I stated earlier. But um, Beauty and the Beast, would you suggest that show for everyone? Would it be good for the whole family? Yeah, I mean, it's good for the whole family. Um, back in this corner of the park, you will find two of the larger, more exciting attractions. First, we'll talk about the Rock and Roller Coaster. Starring Aerosmith. That was that was pretty awesome. I remember the first time I rode this ride and not knowing what I was getting into. And the uh, I, I'm just spoiler alert. Uh this roller coaster doesn't start off as most when you're on the roller coaster, you go around to bed and click, 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 you end up climbing forever. This shoots you off from zero to sixty, and I don't know how fast, but it is fast and i mean so immediately you just feel like you're on a rocket blasting through los angeles traffic and having been there for graduate school having been there as a catastrophe claims adjuster in february of 2010 during the california mudslides i know what la traffic was like and what it is like so being able to fly through it on a roller coaster was pretty freaking awesome I have to say, after riding this roller coaster, this is probably going to be my most favorite roller coaster ever. I hesitate on saying that because I can't remember every roller coaster I've ever been on, but when I rode it, I mean, it's just amazing. It's fun. It's exciting. It's fast. It's smooth. It's surprisingly like comfortable. You don't get that feeling of just being jostled around, which is what most people dislike about roller coasters. I mean, this roller coaster just has everything you could ask for in a roller coaster. One of the things that makes it similar to Space Mountain is the fact that it's it's indoors and that it's in the dark. But unlike Space Mountain, you see 
the interstate road signs as if you were on the on the 10 in 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 southern california and and so you're seeing traffic signs and you're seeing all kinds of things not to mention the fact that you're rocking out to aerosmith and I first ran into Aerosmith back in, I want to say, I think it was 1988 when they released their album Permanent Vacation. And the song Angel was on Q98's Hot 8 at 8. And I just remember loving that song. I had no idea they were rock gods. So I kind of grew up liking Aerosmith. And so it was a lot of fun for me to to go on this to, to as David would talk about, the nostalgia of, of growing up hearing songs like Love in an Elevator and things like that. It, it's just a fantastic ride. Yes, it is. And unfortunately, we have lost our guest, David, as he has gone off into the land of sleepiness and dream world. Sleep got the better of him. <laughs> He's an early riser. We can't blame him too much. Uh, we appreciate him spending time with us. The downside to this ride is that, unfortunately, it's only for 48 inches and higher. So you actually have to be a larger-ish child uh, to ride it. And I will say, if you are able to book a fast pass on this, you want to. The other thing we noticed, though, was that a lot of people were doing the single rider line. So if you're willing to go through it as a single rider, that seemed to be another kind of strategy to get to the front of the line faster. I think that's interesting that you bring that up because I read about that online. Now, when I was there with some friends, I want to, let's see, I'm trying to remember what year that was. That would have been 2008. So the rock and roller coaster was new then, or at least fairly new. And it hadn't been there the last time, since the last time I had been there. And my friends came and got me because I was carting around uh, Joseph and David, just the two of them. But I was pushing them around in a double stroller. And I hadn't been on any adult rides because I'd only been on whatever they could ride at the time. And they were six and four and so when they came and got me they uh my, my friend aaron came grabbed me his two teenage boys and we all got in the single single rider line and we were on the ride within five to seven minutes but i thought it was funny because this time and it you bring up the single rider strategy and it's become very popular to where when we were getting our fast pass for it, I was talking to the cast member and then he turned and started chuckling as people were getting in the single rider line. And he said the single rider line was like 60 minutes long at that point. The last ride that we're going to talk about here at this park is the Tower of Terror back in the corner. Now, unlike the rock and roller coaster, smaller kids can ride this. The, re the height restriction on this is only 40 inches. So Oscar was able to go with us on this. And I was slightly concerned because it is, you know, Tower of Terror that he would be frightened. And he was uh, surprisingly brave. He said he got scared a little bit, but he did great. He was, he was really brave. And let me touch a, a little bit on this. Not only is this the Hollywood Tower of Terror, it's the Twilight Zone Hollywood Tower of Terror. Now, I have quite a history with The Twilight Zone. The Twilight Zone was a, a, a movie that was, or a TV show. I want to say it was produced back in the 50s and 60s, somewhere in that period. And in the early 80s, I believe executive produced by Steven Spielberg, they released a new Twilight Zone, the movie. And I remember one of the sequences starring John Lithgow, another one of the sequences starring Dan Aykroyd. And there was in the opening, 
there are these two guys on a road trip and one of the friends says, Hey, you want to see something scary? And he said, sure. And he said, no, it's really scary. And he turns into a monster and eats his friend. No, this was extremely, extremely traumatizing for me to see in 1983 when it came out in 82. And so between that creep show tales from the crypt, I grew up watching this kind of stuff. And so when we're going back to the Hollywood classic, Rod Surly, this is the Twilight Zone. He's there. He's talking. And they even resurrected him from the dead when they brought this ride back by creating him through CGI for this ride. It is If you've seen the classic, if you haven't seen it, check it out. But if you've seen it, I mean, they do such an incredible job with Rod Serling. So this ride is not a roller coaster. The basic premise of this, if you don't know, is you're in an elevator that I guess malfunctions or gets stuck and, and you're now dropping and going up and down at very high speeds. Yeah, that's pretty much the, the gist of it. When I rode this back in eighth grade, I remember that it said the Twilight Zone Hollywood Tower of Terror. I'm not sure. Did, did they take Twilight Zone off there? No, it still says Twilight Zone. Oh, it does. Okay. So it's still, it's still there. Okay. Things have changed over, over the years, but even the storyline has changed. The storyline seemed to to really kind of not get so much more into the paranormal that I remember. Uh, it used to be a lot weirder and stranger, uh, and, and they kind of vanilla it. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. Uh, so it's changed, but it's an elevator drop. It drops you uh, halfway, shoots you back up, drops you all the way down, and it's a 13-story drop. Now, I have been told by cast members that as with many of the other rides there. This is based on different algorithms. Now, one thing that I do know is that as you are going down, having watched a documentary on this ride from the uh, on the travel channel, there's more G-force on your body when you're going down than there is on an astronaut that's in the space shuttle. I thought that was kind of interesting. Slightly more G-force as you're going down. If you going the full 13 stories. But again, as I was told by cast members and what I saw on this documentary, based on the algorithms, every time the elevator drops, it's a different type of drop from dropping you halfway to a quarter of the way, shooting you back up, dropping you down. It's always uh, a different and random pattern. Interesting. Uh, one other cool thing about this, if you do have the photo pass, there's a little video that they do on this one as well showing you yourself riding this ride with a little preview and, and post thing about about this ride. So that was a lot of fun to watch. Kind of in closing, the only other thing I wanted to mention is the evening shows at this park. Unfortunately, you kind of have to choose between the large one, which I guess has been the same and kind of around forever, which is Fantasmic, which is what I chose to see. And then John opted to see the fireworks show, which is Star Wars based called Star Wars A Galactic Spectacular. I, I actually missed it. I, I don't remember where I got tied up. I, I, I was in that section. I think I ended up going, did I go on the rock and roller coaster? I, I went on the rock and roller coaster and the Hollywood Tower of Terror so many times. I, I think I probably went six, six times on each one, I think. So I, I think I ended up missing that because I got stuck in that end of the park and, and I missed the fireworks. Well, okay. So from my understanding, the Star Wars, a galactic spectacular is kind of just a 
fireworks show based with Star Wars music. Fantasmic is actually a light show. So it's against the water. It's this area of the park that they only use for the show. So it's completely dedicated to it. Um, there's a lot of effects that are on the water. There's people floating in the water. There's like a mountain. Um, it's kind of a little bit taken from, I think, the Fantasia show because you do have the Sorcerer Mickey that kind of shows up. And there's no talking. So I'm not really exactly sure what's supposed to be going on. You could probably research that and find out. What I did want to say that I was kind of disappointed about is I opted for this show versus the fireworks show because I did have the little ones and I knew they were sensitive to sound and those kind of things. This show was extremely loud, even though it was far away. It was so overbearingly loud. And then there were a lot of parts that were dark and scary. And I actually had the little ones like crying at some parts because they were so scared and turning away. And so that was a little bit surprising to me. I was expecting it to be a lot more cheerful and just kind of upbeat and a happy way to end the day. And so I was just frustrated that I kind of had to deal with that when you already had um, kind of tired children. But I think if you had mid to older children, they'd be just fine. But if you had toddlers and little ones, I don't know that I would take the time to uh, sit there and, and to watch that show again. That's interesting. I, I, I didn't know that. I've as many times as I've been down to the studios, I've never seen that show. And so that's that's interesting to point out. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, I remember now where I was. I was at Star Tours going through six times. That's why I miss the the fireworks. Okay, so one of the places that I wanted to mention that I would have loved to have sat down with you if we'd had a chance. And so let's let's make sure we do this on a future visit is to dine at the Sci-Fi Dine-In Theater Restaurant. And now, I went down to Disney World back in 1996 with some friends of mine from college, and we ate here. What's so cool about this is that the, the restaurant itself is actually set up like a drive-in movie theater. So the tables are all in these 50s-style cars, and you're watching these old sci-fi movies on the projection screen in the drive-in theater and you're ordering 50 style food with 50 style servers. And so it is super, super cool. And I remember going there and I ordered what was called the trash burger. And I remember the burger being on like Texas toast bread and the food was great. And the ambiance, I think of all of the restaurants that I've been to, and I've been to some restaurants I've been to, Wolfgang Pucks. When I was in LA, I, I had some friends that were foodies, and so they they took me to some restaurants. But as many cool restaurants as I've been in, this is probably for me the neatest one. Well, it looks super neat from the pictures, so we'll have to check it out next time. I know that there are a lot of fun places to eat, and one day when I go again, and it's just me and you and no kids, and we don't have to worry about feeding 20 people <laughs> we can <laughs> sit down and enjoy some of these places um but for now it's a good thing that you're allowed to bring food in yeah we'll, we'll definitely have to do it on, on on future visits or you know i mean we don't live that far so hopefully maybe we can get down there more often but one of the things that i did in the past was to eat during off times you know if, if you want to grab lunch you know grab lunch sometime between three and four you'll tend to find restaurants with availability but the shops, I didn't even go into any of the shops in this place. And in it being my favorite because, you know, it's based on Hollywood, I remember things like little keychains that you could buy that had like 
you know, knockoffs of, of the Oscar statue with your name on it, uh, clapper boards and, and stuff like that. But I didn't even do any shopping other than looking around in the Star Wars launch bay. I didn't do any shopping while we were there. Yeah, so much to do. So much to do at all these parks. Again, I feel like you could spend a long time there and still not see everything that it has to offer. But anyways, we could go on and on. We're, we're going to have to cut it off at some point. So we'll call it a night. Thank you guys so much for listening again to our podcast. This is most likely going to go in the record for the longest one. I think we probably beat out our part one of Disney Parks with this one. However, thanks everyone for listening. You guys should know where to find us by now. We're on uh, social media with Facebook or you can find us on um, the Growler Media website. We're part of the Growler Media Network. So happy to be part of them. We're grateful to all of our producers and those that work with us in getting this show brought to you. And tonight my energy was brought to you by Monster Ultra Blue and AMC Popcorn. Thanks everyone for listening. We'll talk to you guys next time. Wow, something is really different. I'm a growler.